Hello, welcome to Bethel Baptist Church Podcast. Today, December 26, 2021, Pastor Ron Phillips brings us part two of his message, No Room, from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We did have a little bit of an audio issue and lost a little bit of the message around the three-minute mark, so I apologize for that. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you this Christmas weekend. Let's have prayer together first, and then we'll get right into our study this, this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the fact that you are indeed the faithful one, Lord, and we try to emulate you and be faithful in our way to worship you and to try to bring glory to you. Father, you are the great one. You are the glorious one. No glory can be added to you, Father. It is, your glory is complete, but it is up to us to talk about it, sing about it, pray about it, and praise you, Lord, for your glory. And may we do that this morning. Please use me as your mouthpiece, and may these words not be mine, but yours. And we'll thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was two weeks ago that I started this message on Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Very, very familiar Christmas passage. I'm sure by now you've read it and heard it many, many times. Just in the way of a real quick review, why was Christ born in a manger? Remember that two weeks ago? That's what we, that was the question we asked. Why was Christ born in a manger? We had three reasons why. It was a humble place, and Jesus was certainly humble and meek. It was a poor man's place. Jesus was born from a poor family, not only from a poor family, but from Nazareth, which was considered a, a, a town or a city on the, on the bottom rung of the social ladder. And it was an accessible birthplace. You didn't have to have a royal invitation to get in there to see the baby. You could walk right up to the manger and see Jesus Christ. And besides that, if he is the Lamb of God, where else would a lamb be born, right? But in a, in a barn, in a manger. Part two today, why wasn't Christ born somewhere else? Why wasn't Christ born then somewhere else, which I think is a valid question. And as I start this message with you, I want to make a couple of uh, statements at the very beginning so you don't get the, you don't get the wrong idea. Uh, this could be taken as kind of, a negative, kind of a negative message from the standpoint of why Christ wasn't born somewhere else. And I just want to say to you that if you're involved in any kind of governmental work or educational work, Praise the Lord. I'm glad you are. We need Christians in schools. We need Christians in government work, for sure. There is so much, as most of you know, if not all of you, there is so much corruption in government today, especially in Washington, D.C., and we need as many Christians as we can get in these places that are really important, where decisions are made that affect so many other people. And I don't want you to think that I'm anti-government, because I'm not. I'm a very patriotic uh, individual, and uh, I love history. Uh, history is a minor in history in college. Uh, I, I love history. So don't get come away with the wrong part of the gospel. Christ died on the cross, rose again on the third day, defeated death, and he's waiting for you right now. If you've never trusted him, he's still saying today, come unto me. He's saying that to you this morning. If you've never trusted him as your Savior, young or old, if you're sitting here today without Christ, he would love for you to come to him because he loves you. And that's why he came down to this earth to reconcile you and I back to a holy judicial God who makes no mistakes, who's a perfect God. We're not perfect. We're anything but perfect, right? We need a Savior. So if you need Christ, 
Today may be the day of salvation for you. I hope it is. Now, if Christ couldn't be born in an inn, weren't there some other places where Christ could have been born? Why wasn't he born somewhere else? First thought, A, in your outline, how about the king's palace? Why couldn't Jesus Christ, he's king of kings, right? Why couldn't he have been born in a palace? And the answer to that is there's seldom room, seldom is there room in a king's palace for Jesus Christ, if you'll think about it. If you, were to, if you were to take a tour of the United Nations building, and I've never done that, I've seen it, you know, films of it and pictures of it and so forth, uh, there is no room for the Prince of Peace in the United Nations building. Did you know that? The building was erected so that nations could come together to promote peace, right? Are you aware, are you aware that there have been over 8,000 peace treaties worldwide ever since man started making treaties? And every one of them was broken? Every one. 8,000 peace treaties, all down the drain. Why? Because there's no room for the Prince of Peace. If you go to the United Nations building, you'll see all these massive auditoriums and convention rooms and study rooms and everything. One little space, probably not even as large as that size of your auditorium for a chapel that is never used. Never used. There's no need to go to God at the United Nations. No, no need. Mankind will make his own peace. Well, we see the results, don't we? That's the kind of peace that man can bring about, peace that's always broken. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace, but there's no room for him there. Besides that, he couldn't be born in a palace because he's, he, he came from a lowly birth. He's the son of a carpenter. Joseph was a carpenter. A carpenter from Nazareth. Do you remember what, this, what, what is said in John chapter 1? What good thing could ever come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was a, was a oh, I'll, I'll put it this way. Years ago, I used to work in Gary, Indiana. Now, I'm a Hoosier, okay? I, I love Indiana. But Gary, Indiana is considered the armpit of the United States, I think. Well, that's, where I, that's where I worked, okay? Well, that's what Nazareth was like, see? It was, it was a bad place. If you came from Nazareth, not good, not good. That's, that's, where Jesus, that's where his family came from. Besides that, Jesus was meek. He was meek. He was meek. Do you know anything about the Romans? Meekness was considered weakness. Even in royal society today, meekness is not something that is, is aspired to. People who, who are in important positions, they like, to, they, like to, you know, they like to act out their positions. They're not meek. Jesus was meek, wasn't he? He was meek. There'd be no room for Jesus to be born in a palace. Besides that, what was, what was one of Christ's mottos? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That would never fly in a palace. Never fly in a palace. I'm going to go to the Scriptures with you to prove my point. I'm going to go to two passages with you this morning to start this off. The first one is in Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. Psalm 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. 
Psalm chapter 2 is one of my favorite psalms. It's divided into four sections, and the first three sections, the first section, which is three verses, is man speaking his heart out. Man speaking what he really thinks. That's what you have in the first three verses. Why do the heathen, that would be the Gentiles, rage like a sea, no control, chaotic? And why do the people, that would be the Israelites, See, the heathen are the Gentile, the people are the Israelites. Why do they imagine a vain or empty thing? The kings, that's the Gentiles again of the earth, set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. That would be the Jews. The Gentiles and the Jews once again are taking counsel together. That's really unusual. There's no love lost even to this day between Israel and all the other countries around it. Syria, Lebanon, and so forth. There's no love lost. In fact, they're at each other's throat all the time, aren't they? But here it says they take counsel together. What would cause them to take counsel together? Anti-Jesus Christ against the Lord. Against the Lord. And against his anointed. Who's the anointed? That's Jesus, the Messiah. That's what Messiah means. He's the anointed one. And what do they say? Let us break their bands asunder. Let's cast away their cords from us. That's man's refusal of God. Man does not want God's restraints. Oh, no, 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 no. We want to have the right to be, to be able to provide birth control. We're going we're gonna to just abort that baby for the mother's health's sake. What devious wickedness is that? Aborting an innocent baby who can't do anything about it, can't help himself. <clears throat> but that's man's response. Or uh, we don't, mankind doesn't want any response on anything. Drugs. C can you believe some of the things that are happening today, even in the United States, that would have never been tolerated 10 years ago or even 20 years ago? It's really sad, you know, when you see this. But that's man's, that's man's response. Man does not want God's rules. For example, marriage. No, no, we're not going to. We're just going to live together. We're just going to live together. That's man's response. Uh, I don't like being a male. I want, I want to become a woman. Is this, this, isn't it awful? It, it's just, it, when I hear these things, it just turns my stomach. That's all anti-God. All anti-God. Look at the text. We're going to break the bands. We're going to cast away God and all his rules, his Bible, his word. We're going to cast it away. That is man's response to God. Now that's recorded in the Old Testament. How about the New? Let's go to Acts. Acts chapter 4, verses 24 through 30. Acts chapter 4, verses 24 through 30. The Jewish people who were converted are talking. And then when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord, and they said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David they're referring back to Psalm 2, which I just read to you, has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? 
the kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together again against Christ, against the Lord, and against his Christ. For of a truth, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, Jews and Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatever thy hand and thy counsel determined before them to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants with all thy boldness that we may speak the word. 2,000 years ago, when, these, when this was actually going on, the early Christians were being persecuted for their faith. And we are now as well, folks. We are as well right now. And just as Paul Harvey used to say on the news, relax, it's going to get worse. And that's true. It is. The further the United States goes away from Jesus Christ, the worse things are going to become. Don't forget that. Finally, verse 30. By stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy, holy child Jesus. These early Christians were determined to continue to share the gospel. Nothing was going to get in their way. They were going to continue on. Amen. So there's no room in the palace for Jesus. In fact, John chapter 1, verse 11 says, He came unto his own, and what was their response? His own received him not. John chapter 1, verse 11. Well, if not the king's palace, how about, how about the seminary? How about the university? Surely there'd be room for Jesus in the seminary. Now, we're fortunate here in Iowa. We've got Faith Baptist Bible College and seminary. I was on the board for 16, 17 years, and it's a good school. It still is. Praise the Lord, it'll remain that way until Jesus comes. But there are so seminaries around today that that's just not true. That's just not true. Why not the seminary? Because man's wisdom comes into play. That's why. I have seen so many people, men, over the years going into ministry, graduate from a Bible college, and then they want to get a seminary degree. And that's a good thing. I'm not against that. That's for sure. But they go to these secular schools, go to their seminary, and get, they get into philosophy. And what happens? They get ruined. By the time they get out of all of that man's wisdom junk, the Bible in their mind is diluted. It is diluted. It's weakened. There is no room for Christ in these seminaries. Let's, I'm, I'm going to give you a couple of proof texts of what I'm talking about. First one's in Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verse 9. Actually, verses 8 and 9. Here's what God says. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth... So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. There it is. What do you mean Jesus walked on the water? That's what I mean. The Bible says Jesus walked on water. No, that can't be. You can't. It's physically, it's impossible. You can't do that. Jesus was born from a virgin. Do you know how many seminaries there are in the United States today that don't teach any of that? They regard all that as a myth. These songs that we just sang this morning, that's all a myth. In these seminaries. That's what's going on, folks. Here's one more proof text for you. Hebrews 3.10. Hebrews 
I have the advantage of, I have all these passages marked. Hebrews 3.10, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and I said, They do always err in their heart. They have not known my ways, saith the Lord. They have not known my ways. <coughs> okay, proof text. Now let me give you three examples. <coughs> I'm going to give you three reasons, three examples why there's no room for Jesus in a seminary. I'm going to read to you just a, a, a logo off of a doctrinal statement of a seminary here in the United States. Okay? This, this one is, is in the United States. <coughs> and here it is. Veritas Christo Ecclesia. That means truth for Christ and the church. That sounds, doesn't that sound good? That, that sounds like a university I could get behind and a seminary I could get behind. Do you know whose model that is? And it's still on their plaque today? Harvard. Harvard. Princeton's the same way. Their seminary. Those seminaries have gone so far away from the Bible, you wouldn't want your son or your daughter to go there. No way. <coughs> There's no room for that anymore. Not anymore. Their doctrinal statements are just collecting dust now is what it boils down to. Here's another illustration for you. You've heard of the Wesleys, Charles Wesley and John Wesley? Charles Wesley is my favorite hymn writer. He's written so many hymns that, that I just greatly love, including my favorite is And Can It Be? <coughs> the Wesleys lived in the 18th century, and they were theologians. They were trained at Oxford Seminary in England. They graduated. They got as fine a training from a seminary as you can possibly get. They decided to go on an evangelistic trip, a missions trip, to the United States, to the state of Georgia, to witness to people, and, and so forth and so on. There was only one problem. Neither one of them was saved. Neither one of them were saved when they made that trip. They were not born again. Do you remember when you were born again? They could not tell you when they were born again. But they graduated from a seminary. That may be, but they were not saved. Well, how did they get saved? On their way back from that missions trip, they were on a ship on the Atlantic Ocean, of course, that came into a bad storm, so bad that it looked like the ship was going to be totally turned over and everybody was going to drown. On that ship were a hundred Moravian missionaries. Moravian missionaries. That meant they knew Christ as their Savior, but they were lacking in education and so forth. But they were saved. And when that storm hit, those missionaries, all hundred of them, got up on the deck of that ship, got down on their knees, and prayed to God that God might spare them and be merciful to them. A short time later, the storm eased off. Those same missionaries got back on that deck again, and they sang a psalm praising God for taking care of them, for, for being merciful to them. A short time later, Charles Wesley would sit down at a desk, now being saved, and he would write the words to, Oh, for a thousand tongues to see my great Redeemer's praise. One of my favorite hymns. 
Charles Wesley got saved also. They didn't get saved at Oxford. They got saved in a little Bible church back in London when they went back to England. There's no room, no room for, for Jesus in Oxford. The last example I want to give to you is, is, is right at home with me. I was on the, <laughs> I, ran for, I ran for the school board in Huffman, Texas. I lived in Huffman, Texas for 12 and a half years, and I ran for the school board. I was a businessman in those days. This is before I went into full-time ministry. And so some of my friends from our church wanted me to run, and I agreed to run, and unfortunately I won. And so I was on that school board for four years. I was chairman for three years. Well, we had four other, there were four other guys on there with me who were all members of First Baptist Church of Huffman. And we, we took our job seriously. We looked through the materials. Well, we got the health and science books for, for middle, middle school. Pornography. It was pornographic. Folks, this is in the 80s. The 80s. I can't imagine what it is now. Guess what we did? We had a meeting. We officially voted to remove that, those books, and we, bought, we got some other books. They weren't Christian books. They weren't by Becker or Bob Jones or somebody else. But they were good books, and they didn't have any of that pornography junk in it. So that's what we started using. Well, the word got back to the, to the State Board of Education in Austin, Texas. Since I was the chairman, that Friday I got a telegram, and it said, in, in effect, you must go back to the books that have been approved for health and science, or we will withhold the checks, paychecks for all of the teachers. I'm not making this up. That actually happened to me. The system, the system is that bad. And this was in the 80s. There is no room for God's ways in that classroom. Again, if you are a teacher and you're a Christian, I praise the Lord for you. You are a missionary. You are a missionary, and I'm praying for you. We need Christians in public schools. Those kids are facing a jungle, a real bad jungle. Anyway, there's no room for Christ in education. No room. There's a, that's, a, I think, a classic example of it. My kids went through public school for a while until all of this stuff came to light. And my wife and I, we didn't have the money, but we took them out and we put them into Christian school. And I'm so glad we did. So glad we did. Well, if Christ can't be allowed, can't be allowed in the palace or in the seminary, how about the temple? The place of worship. Surely Jesus should be allowed in the place of worship, shouldn't he? Huh? You would think so, right? Let's go, in, let's go inside. Let's go inside the temple and let's make some inquiries and find out. Hey, here's a young rabbi. Well, let's talk to him. His name is Saul. Let's talk to this young rabbi, Saul. He, he's a man of the cloth. He, he's, he's here in the, in the temple. He's educated. Let's, let's see what he has to say about all of this. Turn to Acts chapter 1. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. I want you to do, I'm going to wait for, for, for a minute. Turn to Acts chapter 8. I'll give you a minute to get there. Acts chapter 8. Sorry to drink in front of you, but it helps my throat. Okay, let's see if we can find Saul. And Saul, there he, hey, there he is, Saul. Saul was his, uh, by the way, was his, was his uh, Hebrew name, and Paul was his Roman name. He had two names, you know. 
And Saul was consenting unto his death. Whose death? Stephen. Go back to chapter 7. He was right there when Stephen was stoned. He consented unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, against Christ, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad and throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. How do you like that? The persecution was so bad that the Christians scattered, except for the apostles. They hung in there. They hung in there. Verse 2. And he was a devout man, and he carried Stephen. I'm sorry, scratch that. These men who were the, the, the devout believers, they carried Stephen to his burial. So these apostles were there when Stephen was killed. And they saw to it that he received a proper burial. And they cried. They made lamentation over him. Now here we go back to Saul, verse 3. But as for Saul, he made havoc, havoc of the church. He entered into every house. He hailed men and women. He dragged, literally dragged them out of, out of their houses and had them committed to prison. If you study the book of Acts, chapter 7, chapter 8, you, you'll find that Saul's attitude, let's kill Christians. In, in chapter 9, well, I'm not going to turn to it, but in chapter 9, he was hunting down anybody who was walking the way of Jesus Christ. If you could t turn the clock back and you were a citizen, then he would have been after you. He would have been after you. That was how the Pharisees and the scribes and the synagogues were teaching and threatening the lives of people who followed Jesus Christ. I'm afraid there was no room for, for Jesus Christ there either, is there? Huh? There's no room for him there. Psalm 53, verse 3. I'm sorry, Isaiah 53, verse 3, I should say. Isaiah 53, verse 3. It says, He, Jesus, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. There was no room for Jesus Christ in the temple. No room whatsoever. So there's no room for Christ in the inn. There's no room for Christ in the palace. There's no room for him at the seminary. There's no room for him in the temple. Well, how, how should a king come? How should Christ have come? How should a king come? Just exactly, how should a king come? In a minute, I'm going to play a song for you. And I want you to listen to that song. And I want you to think with me for just a minute as you listen to it. I want you to enjoy it, but I want you to think with me as you hear this song and hear the words that, that go with it. When the song is completed, I'll come back up here and I, and I will pray. If you've got a decision you need to make, I'll hang around after church is over. If there's some question you have about the sermon this morning, about the, any, any of the verses we've gone through this morning, I would be delighted to spend some time with you on that very thing. But for now, let's listen to this song. It's How Should a King Come? I think we've got it all set up to go, I believe. <laughs> 